1: These are letters from Jesus via John to seven real churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. But they're also letters to us today, no less than Paul's letter to the Corinthians or Peter's letter to the people of Bithynia Pontus are letters to us today. These letters have an immediate and an enduring application. Let's read the first one together, starting at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you've not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, there's a basic pattern to all of these letters that we should take note of. Generally speaking, in each of these letters, there's a commendation, an accusation, an exhortation, and a promise. You can see that in in, these, in this first letter. First of all, in terms of commendation, Jesus makes mention of a couple of praiseworthy things. He mentions, first of all, their hard work. So he talks about that in verse 2. This was a busy church. They were active, they were doing good things, and Jesus says, that's, that's good. Christianity is an active religion. You know, every once in a while you hear somebody say, you know, Christianity is all about being, not doing. Well, that's a false distinction. Christianity is actually about a doing that flows from a transformed being. There, there is a doing component of Christianity, and Jesus commends these folks for being on top of that. Second thing he affirms is their orthodoxy. That's also in verse 2. He says, you can't bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Then in verse 6, he says, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Can I just tell you that one of my favorite things, one of the chief benefits, I think, in, in reading through these letters that Jesus writes to the churches is that you get to hear from Jesus firsthand. There's so many people now in the church who, who would tell us what Jesus thinks about this and how Jesus would react to that. And what would Jesus do? Well, let me tell you. And, and the stuff they say doesn't sound like the stuff that Jesus says in the Bible. It sounds more like what Santa would say. And, and so I think what's helpful about these letters is it tells us not just what Jesus would say. It tells us what he actually did say and, and what he actually does approve of and, and disapprove of. And that's pretty helpful, right? I mean, right here, Jesus is saying, I approve of orthodoxy. And I approve of your efforts to keep false teachers out of your church. I just think that's pretty cool. Nevertheless, there's an accusation too. He says in verse 4, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. That's a pretty serious accusation. Remember the apostle Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, right? I'm nothing. The absence of love makes everything else we do as Christians irrelevant, The Christian life is only the Christian life when it flows out of a love for God and a love for our fellow man, and their love will start to run dry. So Jesus gives them this exhortation. He says in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent, do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Pretty simple advice there, isn't it? Remember, repent, return. And there's a promise for those who heed his exhortation. In verse 7, he says, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So Jesus basically says, if you overcome this spiritual lethargy, if you relight the fires, and if you carry on in your faith, then I will grant you to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, we won't, a- won't be able to be as exhaustive with each of the other four letters here, or with each of the other letters, but I, I want to carry forward, and I want to use those same basic categories for analysis because I think they're helpful. The second letter begins at verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich, and the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You you could preach a whole sermon on this letter. In fact, I have. Uh, and there's so much here to say. I feel... Guilty about moving through it very quickly, but let me just point out a few things. First of all, in terms of a commendation, Jesus makes mention of how well they have endured suffering. Smyrna was one of the first places in the Roman Empire where Romans began persecuting Christians, and they did so, historians tell us, at the instigation of the Jews. I think I mentioned that right around this time, the Jews began to uh, kick Christians out of the synagogue. They were beginning to be recognized as not. Jews. And some Jews went to the Roman authorities and, in essence, ratted out the Christians, told them, these folks are not Jews, and therefore they're not entitled to the religious liberties that we have been granted as Jews. And so many Christians begin to suffer at the hands of the Romans, but at the instigation of the Jews. And you can hear that in what Jesus says to this church. He says, I know know where the suffering is coming from. It's coming from the devil, but it's also coming from this synagogue of Satan, right? Now, very interesting story. I mean, Smyrna began to suffer, and uh, just as Jesus said, there was a season of intense suffering. In fact, there was a young man uh, who was about 24 years old when this letter was written, or was read, I should say, in his church. His name was Polycarp, and he grew up in the church. And when he was 46 years old, he actually became the bishop, the pastoral overseer of this church. And when he was 86 years old, he was, in fact, burned at the stake for being a Christian. I love the story of how he responded to the offer of clemency if he would only deny Christ. The Roman proconsul said to him, Swear, meaning swear to the gods, and I will set thee at liberty. Reproach Christ. And Polycarp replied, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? And the proconsul threatened to burn him at the stake if he refused to curse Christ and to name Caesar as as Lord. And the old pastor answered defiantly, saying, Thou threatenest me with fire, which burneth for an hour, and after a little while is extinguished, but art ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why tarriest thou? Bring forth what thou wilt." And so they did. They burned him at the stake, and church history records that he asked not to be tied to the stake, because he would gladly stand his post. And so he did. And Jesus commends this church for bearing up so well under suffering. And there's no accusation in this letter. Smyrna is actually one of the two letters, one of the two churches that receives only positive from Jesus, no, no accusation. But there is an exhortation and a promise. Jesus says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Third letter starts in verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. It's verses 12 to 17. So here, Jesus commends them for holding fast to their confession of faith, even under persecution. He accuses them, however, of falling prey to the error of Balaam. Now, that's one of those Old Testament allusions you got to go back for. The story of Balaam comes from the book of Numbers. Balaam was a prophet for hire, and he was hired by Balak to put a curse on the people of God. However, every time Balaam opened his mouth to curse the people of Israel, only words of blessing came out. So he couldn't curse them. So he said, I've got a backup plan. I've got another idea for how you can cause these people to lose the blessing of God. I can't curse what God has blessed, but here's what we can do. We can get these people to act in such a way so as to bring the curse of God upon them. And so he advised Balak, the king of Moab, to send pretty young girls into the camp of the Israelites and to use them to lure the Israelite men to their pagan celebrations, which involved sacrifice to their gods and sex with the pretty young girls. And as you can imagine, the plan worked brilliantly. Several young men participated in the festival, had sex with the Midianite woman. One man even tried to bring his girl back into the camp. Do you remember that story? Numbers 25, 7 to 8. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation, took a spear in his hand, went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. So, Jesus is saying to the church in Pergamum, you should have been more like Phinehas. You, you have not been zealous about guarding yourself against worldliness and idolatry and sexual immorality. You have allowed things into the camp that ought not to have been allowed in. Okay, wow. that That is not what we would expect Jesus to say, right? I mean, that's certainly not what all the, the new preachers are telling us that Jesus would say. And... And here it's so, again, so helpful that these are the red letters because this isn't someone telling us what Jesus would say. This is Jesus speaking, right? These are red letters. And here in these red letters, we have a strong word from Jesus against compromise with culture, particularly on matters of sexual morality. That remains relevant, to say the least. Now, there's an exhortation here as well. He tells them in verse 16, repent. You know, Apparently, Jesus wasn't much into therapy or 12-step programs, right? Just stop it. Stop sinning, whatever you're doing. Stop it. Turn around and come back. Turn away from the world. Turn towards Christ. That's what he's saying. There's a promise there for those who do in verse 17. To the one who conquers, I'll give some of the hidden manna. I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, the last letter begins in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write this. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching— who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he'll rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The commendation here is in verse 19. Again, Jesus commends this church for being busy and hardworking and active. Jesus, apparently, is not a fan of laziness. Again, there is an accusation. Verse 20, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat foods sacrificed to idols. So the problem here in Thyatira is very similar to the problem we saw in Pergamum. The church has been too tolerant towards false teachers and false teaching. And that false teaching seems to have to do with compromising with the sort of you know, sexual practices that would have been common in some of the festivals that would have been appropriate to people participating in the Roman economy. And so it seems like people were saying, hey, you know, Christianity isn't so much about these particular moral restrictions. Don't let's not get focused on that. So there was a false teaching in the church that was basically encouraging compromise on issues of sexual morality. Now, given what Jesus says he's going to do to these false teachers and any who remain in contact with them, the exhortation is implied, repent and disassociate, for I am about to strike her dead and her children, the false teachers and those influenced by her. Step back, therefore, before the lightning falls. That's a good word. And if you do that, there's a promise for you. The one who conquers and who keeps my word until the end to him, I will give authority over the nations. If you overcome this world, then you will rule with me in the next. That's the promise. These are the first four letters in the Revelation of John. And this is
0: the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon, right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.